Should we open by talking about your fame and fortune? Uh, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was at Book Expo in New York, which is a story for another day. But I was at Books Are Magic in Brooklyn, New York, which is, in fact, magic. Uh, it was delightful. Lovely store. Um, and I'm minding my own business, whatever, shopping the shelves. Um, and I, somebody says, Annie? And I turn around. <laughs> and it was Jamie from Absorbed in Pages who recognized me because of you. <laughs> and it was delightful. Um, so we took our pic- I made her take a picture with me so that I could send it to you. <laughs> well, and it's so funny because when I saw it, I, like, I forgot for a second where you were at. And I was like, how did, like, I was like, I, I don't know. But I well, was like, Well, and so she's excited. not from New York. Right. She's from New Orleans. Yeah. So she was on vacation, I guess, in New York. And recognize me because of you mm-hmm. and so we talked about you you're delightful don't worry I said only good things oh well you lied it's fine <laughs> and uh yeah then I made her take a picture with me so that I could text you isn't she so sweet too yes everyone I met um at book expo and through various other places like all the book people I met were yeah. delightful um and it was bizarre to me I met so one woman this was what was kind of mortifying to me. So a woman came up to me at Book Expo and was like, oh my gosh, you're Annie. And But she didn't say how she knew me. So I was like, yes, it's me. It's so nice to meet you. And then finally I was like, and this felt then like, an, I felt like an arrogant jerk because I was like, oh, do you listen to the podcast? And she was like, no, I know your mom. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> and she knew my mom from... Um, for like a Facebook fashion mm-hmm. thing that my mom is a part of. And turns out my mom is like an Instagram or a Facebook, I guess, in this group. Like she's mm-hmm. a celebrity. And um, so it's I'm... in your blood. <laughs> so I'm super proud to be her daughter. And it was delightful. Um, but it was hilarious to me and wonderful that the per- first person, one of the first people that stopped me at Book Expo knew my mom. Mm-hmm. And then the other person who stopped me at Books Are Magic knew you. And it was like... Sterling one time came on this podcast and said that his favorite thing about life in the South was that it's one big small town. Mm-hmm. And I think I know what he meant because I know that part of that is going to book expo and being in a city where lots of book people are located right. for a weekend. And so you're going to run into people that you kind of know or, or know of. Mm-hmm. But also I think like Jamie's from new Orleans. Yeah. Uh, the other, another girl I ran into was a former customer from Tom. Tallahassee and mm-hmm. then she's moved to DC um another woman was from Atlanta so I also think it's just a southern thing but I don't know maybe this happens everywhere but it felt distinctly like a southern I, I thought of Sterling I was like yeah. oh it, it's true I'm I'm in New York but I'm still surrounded by southerners who who know who know the bookshelf or who and maybe it's just that southerners are willing to speak up and are willing to say like hello I will just tell you one quick funny thing about Book Expo, is that what it... Book yeah, e- yeah, Book Expo, okay. BEA, I yeah. think, w- whatever, guys, well, call it whatever you want. <laughs> someone on Bookstagram, actually, they were like, they're like, oh, well, I'll help pay for you to, like, get here, you just have to do one thing, and I said, what's that? And they literally said that I had to bash Lindsay Lohan publicly on my Instagram, <laughs> and I was like, I'm not gonna do that, I'm not How gonna... How dare you? I need to go follow that person I was right offended, now. I was offended. They need fine. a shout-out. No, I'm not gonna shout-out, oh. no. <laughs> justice for Lindsay. <laughs> yeah, justice for Lindsay. I need a hashtag. Mm-hmm. 
welcome to episode 227 of From the Front Porch, a collection of conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. My name is Annie Jones, and I am the owner of the bookshelf in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. Today, I am joined by my co-hosts, Hunter um, McClinton at Shelf by Shelf on Instagram. I forgot what to say. Sorry. <laughs> Emily McKenna, owner of Your Maker. We are back for another episode of Backlist Book Club. Welcome back, Emily. We missed you last time. I missed you too. <laughs> um, so we can. Why did we pick? We picked. Their eyes were watching God. Yes. Why did we do this? Because this is the my, like because on my Instagram I've been doing a Backlist Book Club and this was my pick for this month on okay. that one too. Okay. So for June. Yes. If people want to find your Backlist Book Club on Instagram, how can they do that? Um, they can search the um, hashtag Backlist Book Club 2019, 2019. You can search the hashtag for that, and it'll bring up all the different posts for it and stuff. And if you just message me on there, I can send you all the information. Because somebody was asking how we pick, and I was like, kind of partly in tune with Hunter's Book Club, yeah. and partly just serendipity, like what we're kind of looking yeah. to read. Um, so anyway, we decided on their eyes were watching God, which I think was perfect because I felt like summer reading. I felt like where's my little journal to fill yeah. out for school? What I, <laughs> my thoughts and opinions. Um, so the book is their eyes were watching God. Um, there are a few different ways I wanted to take this conversation today, but I guess my first kind of open it up. I wanted to know, did you finish it? And like basic yeah. initial thoughts, and then we'll go into some questions. So. Yes, I finished it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like that that was celebratory. <laughs> Look, I think anytime anybody finishes a book, we should celebrate. Yes. Reading is sometimes hard. Um, initial thoughts? Yeah. It was beautiful. I wrote down so many um, li- just little you know, bits of what she wrote uh, that were just catchy ways of describing things. Mm-hmm. I just have a whole notes page for yeah. those. I mean, she's just a really beautiful writer. It was tough to read at times, mm-hmm. um, and I loved the dialogue. I just thought the characters were amazing. Hunter? I did finish it. I read it all today. Um, I, well, I read slash listened to it back and forth. Okay. Um, and I really did enjoy this. I, I really liked it a lot. I I really liked it on audiobook because um, Ruby D is the, is the woman. She was an actress who, she was in A Raisin in the Sun and a bunch of okay. other things, but, um, but she, but I really enjoyed her performance. It was so good. Um, there were so many moments that uh, I just, yeah, like it's hard to like just give a general thought without elaborating. I know. So, yeah. So I read this over the weekend. I read it on the plane to New York and then on the plane back from New York and I loved it. It took me probably, I don't know, six or seven pages to like get into the dialogue. And I was really curious about the audiobook because the dialogue is written so specifically, like you can hear their voices yeah. even when you are not reading the audiobook. Um, but because of that, the dialogue is not easy to read at first. You right. kind of have to catch the rhythm of it and kind of dissect the language a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I did fall into the rhythm and once I kind of wrap my brain around, um, I don't want to say that you need to turn on your brain for classic lit and you don't for modern lit. That's not true. But I felt like I had to really get in the zone. You have to use a different set of tools. Yes. I absolutely think that's true. I actually was surprised. Um, I looked up how old the book is because I had not heard of it. Yeah. And I was shocked that it was as old as it is because it felt like it had a very easy to understand flow to me. I mean, the dialogue, like... I did listen to the audiobook, so here she gave everyone a voice, so I think that helped. Uh-huh. 
I mean, just impeccable. It was, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I could see what she was saying. Yeah. And, um, but, oh my God, I forgot my... The dialogue is the only thing that it took me a second yeah. just to adjust to. And I, I think that's probably because I was reading it. And so it is written exactly as it should sound. Well, except for, like, when I read, like, I'm not going to lie, like, sometimes I read dialogue like this, and I start giving different types of accents, yeah. and at one point I was, like, and I was I was going from, like, Scottish to Jamaican, and I was, like, <laughs> I really got to stop, like, but yeah. So once I got into that rhythm, I, Emily, like you, I just thought it was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. I really did love it, and I felt like, and we'll talk about this later, I, like you, thought it was very readable. Like I think so many of us put off reading classics because they're daunting. I, I missed their eyes were watching God in school. It was not required reading in high school. And then um, contrary to what most people think, I did not get an English degree in college. I was a journalism major and so did not take an American lit class. So this one just missed me. Um, and I think for whatever reason, partly because I own a bookstore and I need to be reading current things, this just has not been a priority, which is why I like Backlist Book Club. Um, but it reminded me a lot of James Baldwin, and it reminded me of If Beale Street Could Talk, because it's a love story. It was entirely readable. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, so it's kind of a reminder to pick up classic lit, uh, yeah. because because it's worth reading, um, and it's not as... It's challenging, but it's not... You're well-equipped. Like, you have... Hunter, you're right. You have the tools to read it. Um, Okay. So part of the reason Their Eyes Are Watching God has always been interesting to me, and it's been one that I have wanted to read, even though I, until now, had not done it, um, is because many moons ago, um, I came across a list that was, like, one book every state should read. So, for example, Alabama's was, of course, To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm -hmm. And Florida's was their eyes were watching God. And I was born and raised in Florida. And I remember thinking, well, how come I didn't read this in school? <laughs> and now that I've read it, I totally understand why it's called, like, the, the Florida book. Yeah. Um, so, Emily, you also were born and raised in Florida. So I wanted to talk about the setting of this book and how did we find it to be real. As former Florida residents, do we think, yes, that this is the book Florida should read? I wanted to talk about that a little bit. I think this is, like one of the really good, like, Florida books. But I also, I thought it was a very different view of Florida than I've read. Okay. In some ways. Because, and maybe it was just due to due to the language and, and the way it was described. But I feel like it captured something that was just, I guess, really, yeah, really different than, because I've been reading a lot of books that take place in Florida lately. Yeah. Um, modern? Yes. Okay. Modern. Yeah. And so I guess, and that, that also had a lot of, like, I was comparing it a lot to, especially Florida by Lauren Groff. Which yes. is literally all about, like, the atmosphere of Florida, really. And so it was kind of interesting to see, because you can see some of her, some of um, the influences of their eyes watching God in Florida just through, like, the... I bet. Yeah. I thought that um, the, the book captured so many times, and perhaps this is true of other regions of the country, too, but so many times I will read a book set in the South, and I'll be like, this person either is not Southern or <laughs> they did not grow up here. They've missed something. Mm-hmm. And the same is true of Florida. Um, so one of my favorite stories is the first time Jordan visited me in Tallahassee. He's from Alabama. And he got to Tallahassee, and he was like, where are all the palm trees? And why isn't it balmy outside? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, well, I mean, the coast is like an hour and a half away. Mm-hmm. Um, and we forget how large Florida is mm-hmm. and how many different cultures are, like, cram-packed yes. in that state. And I thought we really got a lovely 
realistic portrayal of central Florida. Mm -hmm. Um, You get the Everglades, you get Orlando, um, you get the place where Zora Neale Hurston grew up, which I cannot remember the name of it, Edenville. Um, And I, you know who else did it really well was Anton Disclafani. Yes. um, In Yanalasi. Yeah. And she, you could tell that was her hometown. She Mm -hmm. wrote about a certain part of Florida really well. But I can totally understand if To Kill a Mockingbird is the Alabama book, and I wish I had the list in front of me because it was a really good list of books. Um, but if To Kill a Mockingbird is the book from Alabama, I certainly can understand. Yeah. You've got the you've got the intense weather. <laughs> like, you've got yeah. this great hurricane scene. Um, there's almost no mention of the heat. Was there? there like, I don't... In the... What's the muddy area? The, the muck... They talked about a little bit in those scenes. Yeah. But for a book about Florida, the weather wasn't, except for the hurricane, it wasn't. Well, I will say, though, I don't always, I guess that in some ways, like, because I've read some other books that are, like, kind of Southern-esque that don't actually mention the heat, and something I found interesting is that, like, I still feel the heat, but, like, we talk about, we talk about how hot it is around here, but, like, not nearly as much as people who come down here talk about it. That's true. Like, when, when like, yeah, like, when people from up north come down, they're all, like, all they talk about is, like, how do you not die, like... Or Jordan and I, a couple summers ago, when we did our big Florida trip, like, we did the whole mm-hmm. uh, perimeter, and then cr- cut across the Everglades, we went to Miami, and everybody was in long sleeves, and it was, mm-hmm. like, June or July, and we were, like why are you I can't even wear pants anymore like it's the it's officially no pants season and so I wonder I don't think that the heat makes it Florida or not Florida yeah but I didn't feel the heat reading it oh interesting I really didn't feel like I was in Florida until she dropped the name of a town okay so for it being the book of Florida I don't know okay because as someone who grew up in north central Florida you get told all the time you're not part of Florida in this part, you're not part of Florida in that part, and you're not part of the South here and there. Yes. You know, and it's like like five countries in Florida. Yes. And so it's really funny for me to think of a book for the state of Florida. Yeah. I thought this one encapsulated, it was definitely set in central Florida because we get the, the Everglades stuff and the Orlando stuff. But I did, that's interesting that you say that. I read it and did feel the heat like I did feel but I don't know if that's because I was literally hot while reading it like I don't know um but I I can understand the Florida um sense of place felt very deep in this book and I think that's true of southern authors I and I again I don't want to exclude other regional writers because I've talked on this podcast before about J. Ryan Stradell writing about the Midwest really well Mm -hmm. so I do think and um Wallace Stegner writes about the West really well but I don't know. There's something about Southern writers where I think they just know where they're from and they know the good and the bad and the ugly and they write about it all. Yeah. Um, okay. I wanted to talk about this quote that was on my, I bought the 75th anniversary edition of this book. <laughs> and um, the quote on the back is from June Jordan. Um, the prototypical black novel of affirmation. It is the most successful, convincing and exemplary novel of black love that we have period. Um, and I wanted to talk about that because I think much like If Beale Street Could Talk, this at its core feels like a love story mm-hmm. and is presented as a love story. And we get this main character, Janie, who lives through and survives three different loves of her life. And I wanted to talk about those three loves and kind of the, the atmosphere of this book 
and we can talk about the role race plays in this book. I really do want to talk about a particular chapter that stuck out to me. Um, but first and foremost, it felt like Zora Neale Hurston was just writing about love and people well, and survival, maybe? Well, I feel like it's so funny because you read the book and, like, the first husband is money. It's, like, it's just he's, like, really, he's, like, got a lot of money. And so, like, that's, you know, then the second husband is a, bunch, a lot of power. Yes. And then the third husband is, like, where she really finds her love. Like, yes. this version of love. And I also, like, I was very skeptical of the relationship at a certain point in her third marriage. But I was also thinking, well in the time period, I'm sure that, like, these are things that I wouldn't have even clenched at. You're right. Cause, because Tea Cake, who is her third husband, mm-hmm. is kind of, to me, presented as the one she really loved. Yeah. You're, Hunter, that was a great way to put it. Like, the first one was for money and security. The second one was ambition and success and power. And then this third one is really her marriage for love. He's younger than she is. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a scene where he, she like has, she's got, she has money from her previous marriage mm-hmm. and she like tucks it away and he, she wakes up one morning and her money is gone and he is gone. And I was so mad. I was like, oh yeah. no. And then he comes back like a day later, mm-hmm. I feel like, and he has gambled and won more money. Um, but that infuriated me yeah. and it made me so mad, but I forgot it's 1937. Right. Like, 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 because she forgives him pretty quickly, mm-hmm. I think. And, um, that particular scene filled me with anger because tea cake is kind of presented as the good husband to mm-hmm. some extent. Um, he's not perfect. Um, he gives her freedom. Yes. Yeah. For the first time. And she, there's even a phrase she uses where she, her like soul opens back up. Mm-hmm. The beginning of the novel is this beautiful imagery of like this tree flowering. Yes. Oh, mm-hmm. so, and that, the paperback cover with that tree is so pretty. Yeah. Um, but anyway, and she really talks about a tree flowering mm-hmm. and the first two marriages did not. What closes her up. Yeah. But yeah. And she talks in the third about mm-hmm. finally being open. Well, so I didn't think of this till just now, but you know, you said she forgives him tea cake so quickly. But remember, you hear a lot in, the, especially the second half of her relationship with her second husband Jody, how she had to like bite her tongue and she wanted to fight back and she wanted, you know, but she was forced into submission. It's like maybe she forgave him because he let her speak her mind and he spoke to her on a, the same level rather that's than telling point. her how to be. That's true. Yeah. And he gave her, you're right, he gave her room to ask the question. Mm-hmm. And I think Jody, her second husband, who was abusive, yeah. um, I, his character was really intriguing to me. Um, he was super complicated. That all three, that's the thing I really appreciated was that like, there was never a time where I thought like, I, I never once thought like, this is like a cardboard cutout of anyone. Like no. I felt like it was like, and especially for, it's because it's 200 pages. And so to fill like such a life. That's what was so great. That's mm-hmm. what I couldn't get over is, okay, it's daunting. But if you're listening to this and you're like, well, I don't know, but it's really not like, we're not talking even little women here. Like right. we're ta- it's not very long. And what she's able to accomplish in such a few amount of pages is astounding to me. It reminded me of, like, a super condensed goldfinch, you know? Like, you go Uh, through this long span of life. She hasn't read it. Don't say anything. I'm about to read it. You didn't read it? Are you? I'm going to read it because the movie's coming out. Maybe that should be... <laughs> we should re- I'm going to reread it, too, Okay, now. maybe we should do okay. Backlist Book Club yes. on the Goldfinch. I want to. Have you read I'm... it? Yeah. Okay, maybe I should do it, then. Maybe yeah. it's time. I'll reread it. Hunter bought me like the copy. <laughs> time but even now like I found so much of it sadly I guess still applicable to today so there is a chapter in particular that I'm thinking of but perhaps you guys have other examples too 
chapter 16 is where we're first introduced. I think her name is Mrs. Turner, and she's kind of this awful-sounding woman <laughs> um, who I think we are given a description where she has white features, is my understanding. Yes. And she really has a hard time. I wanted to read a quote because I thought it was really good. Um, she has a really hard time with people who are darker than she is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's this really great section. We've talked about the dialogue, but in between the dialogue are these like, man, gut punches of truth and just really gorgeous writing. Um, But she's talking about, I think white people as gods Mm -hmm. and setting them up as an idol. And that this, that's what this woman had kind of done. Um, And so I love, I just wanted to read part of this. Once having set up her idols and built altars to them, it was inevitable that she would worship there. It was inevitable that she should accept any inconsistency and cruelty from her deity, as all good worshipers do from theirs. All gods who receive homage are cruel. All gods dispense suffering without reason. Otherwise, they would not be worshipped. Through indiscriminate suffering, men know fear, and fear is the most divine emotion. It is the stones for altars and the beginning of wisdom. Half gods are worshipped in wine and flowers. Real gods require blood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So good. Like it's so one of those good. I want to reread because yes. like yeah. Especially I I would love to do it how you guys did it and re-listen to. I would like to listen to it and get to hear it. Mm-hmm. Um or Hunter, you mentioned there's a movie. Is the there movie is, good? Okay, so the movie has a really good cast. Halle Berry plays Janie. Okay. Janie, and um she's so good. She's okay. so good. But you it does it? Yes, oh. but years ago, and I was in high school, but I still remember, I remember it vividly. Um, Oprah Winfrey produced it. Oh, of um, course. But, <laughs> but it was at a time, though, when it was, you know, like, it was, she made it for, like, a predominantly white audience, and so it took a lot of, like, the heavier kind of, like, themes of, like, race and, um, and like, feminism type yes. stuff out of it. Oh, that's kind of a bummer. Which is a bummer, but but I will say, I still think it's worth the watch just for the performances. Okay. So that was one thing I wanted to talk about. I want to talk about how she handles race mm-hmm. in this book. Um, she is an African-American author mm-hmm. um, and really is writing about some things that are hard. And the reason I wanted to mention chapter 16 is because we talk about race a lot in books, mm-hmm. but she is addressing something here that I don't feel like we talk about very often, and maybe it's my fault in my, the books I'm reading, but she basically is talking about colorism and yes. how she is Mrs. Turner is discriminatory against people who are darker than she is Mm -hmm. because she has white features. Mm -hmm. And maybe this was on my brain because I was at book expo and got to hear Lupita Nyong'o and she is, has written a children's book called Solway, which looks so good. I'm so sad, Emily, that your children are too old for picture books now. They're outgrowing them, but this one is so beautiful. The illustrations are amazing. Um, But Lupita wrote this book because she is beautifully dark-skinned, but her whole life, even in Kenya, where she grew up in Nairobi, she felt like less because she was so dark. And so in this book, Solway, the main little girl is richly dark-skinned in a family of light-skinned people. Mm-hmm. And so how she kind of grapples with that. And as a white person, I don't often think about that. Yeah. Um, and so I really appreciated how woven in this love story, you also get some serious social commentary. Mm-hmm. For 1937, I was... Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. also, like, going back to the beginning um, with her... What did she call her? Nanny? What did Nanny. She call, Nanny, yeah. When she, like, her grandmother, like, something that was so heartbreaking to me, because I think about... I think about my, my own granny, which I know it's not the same, but, like, 
I think about how my gra- just I think about that level, and I think a level deeper. But like my granny, you know, she was confined to like the men that she had to like. Yes. You know, and I think about this this her, um, jo- J- Janie Janie's grandmother and how she she wanted so much freedom and she wanted to be able to do all these things, and then she wanted it for her daughter, but then her daughter didn't understand the same wants, I guess, yes. you know, and so then she wants it for Janie because she, and so she like gives all of herself to make sure that her granddaughter has this freedom. Yeah. But then at the and same time. And then that first marriage is not freedom at all. Right. I wouldn't say her mom didn't want it. Maybe she didn't want, but not in the same way. Like, I don't. I just think she was broken. That the yeah. Janie's mom yeah. or the grandmother? Well, they had the same experience, but Janie's yeah. grandmother came out of it and the mother was that's right. right that's right the i think the first time they talked about kind of color was right in the beginning when mm-hmm. the grandmother talked about growing up on the plantation oh, yes. they had a picture of her with all these kids that she played with all the time and she didn't recognize herself because she thought she was white yes yeah. i thought that was so i'm telling you but but the way Hurston was able I, I don't know how to describe it no, the it, way it's tucked in these yeah. stories are kind of tucked it's in it's like underpinnings rather than yes yeah. there is something really powerful about yeah. it that makes you I mean that imagery um, you're right that for one of those first scenes you kind of get you're immediately you immediately know what era you're in you're, you immediately know what part of the country you're in um the contrast even between growing up on a plantation home and then the good white people, but even the good, and I'm using air quotes, right. but even the good white people didn't want the nanny like in their home. Right. I mean, interesting, mm-hmm. complicated, um, problematic things yeah. um, that she's that she's raising in 1930, I think 1937, I keep yeah. saying mm-hmm. that, but I think that's the year, um, was really interesting to me. And, and like I said, not just, oh, racism is wrong, but like, Again, to me, complicated, nuanced mm-hmm. issues. Um, well, this she really is a great, a great show. Don't tell, like, or yeah, like she shows so much. Without, yeah, like without black and white spelling it out for you. Yeah, like. but but because of when it was written, I would love to hear what people thought then because she's not pointing it out. This is just life as it was known. Right. right? So it's maybe not viewed as. As like social commentary. A, yes, a social well, commentary. Like well, that's the thing. She did not want to write. She didn't want to like write about the race problem. Is what she said. I don't want to write about the race problem, even though I feel like she addresses it. But I, but she's addressing just life experience. Right. She's it, addressing it right. as normal parts of life. Which I really here's what's really interesting to me because I was, I was a guest, at um, at a book club recently, and they did and they did not like books with an agenda. Okay. Um, turned out they did not like books that talked about hard subjects, which, okay. Um, but a little I would limiting, be, but that's fine. We don't judge. Right. But I was really, I wanted, I was really interested because they mentioned some books that they didn't like and I was really interested. I would love to know their opinion on this because, because she specifically did not want to write about like, you know, the race problem. I want to know if they would think that she had an agenda. If they would still think this was right, just too because, hard hitting. Or yeah. Too just heavy. because it's a real, it's a real experience. This is a real experience that's being showcased, you know, in a story. Yeah. She is, she is writing about life experiences, mm-hmm. um, just from a culture that the three of us really are not capable of fully understanding. I think that's what books are for. Mm-hmm. To help us try. I want to bring up something based on what you said about it being underpinning yes so i was taken by how long 
the conversations between men on the porch were that mm-hmm. had nothing to do with Janie. Like, you're forced to listen like she was forced to listen. But it are, there are large parts of the story that happen around her, but it's her story. Mm-hmm. And, like, I was wondering if you guys had thoughts about that. I, that to me, for me, went back to totally setting the tone of where they were I could completely see, like, I could picture. In fact, sometimes when I drive the back roads, like, home to my my parents live kind of on the outskirts of Tallahassee. And so when I drive the back roads, you'll just see people in these kind of shanty cottages or whatever, like, sitting on the porch. And I could completely picture these men, like, playing chess or playing Mm -hmm. checkers and having these conversations and her being inside the shop where she is kind of a prisoner, it feels like, mm-hmm. and she wants to be on the porch. And one of the things I love about Tea Cake is he teaches her, is it checkers or yeah, chess? Checkers. Okay, yeah. so he's teaching her how to play checkers. And then I love, there's this picture, this image that she kind of draws for us through her words about Janie learning to play checkers, and she's kind of, all the men are kind of helping her make moves uh-huh. and trying to beat Tea Cake. And there was something so fun and frivolous about that for a woman who wasn't, it felt like she wasn't always able to have frivolous fun. Right. Um, and so I think those scenes felt long, but they never felt burdensome mm-hmm. to the book. They felt like setting the scene to yeah. me, if that makes sense. Well, I don't know if that answers your question. I feel question. like this is like a, it's, it's living a life. Like, and I feel, and I, and that's another thing too, is that like. And she's recounting all this, right? right? She's recounting to mm-hmm. all, in, funnily enough, oh, this is so good, the more I talk about it. She's sitting on a porch talking right. to her friend, recounting all of this. Mm-hmm. And I love the pictures of how Hurston like explains like how it's start, it's getting dark and the darkness yeah. is thickening around mm-hmm. them. Oh, it's so that's when I felt the heat, I think, of how I will say is. this is one thing that I think is actually really interesting. Speaking of when you were talking about like what books are for and how like we don't fully understand something, but at one point she speaks she's um um Janie says something on the lines of um, if you haven't, like, if you haven't lived it, you haven't, I don't remember what exactly it was, but something along the lines of, like, you have to have experienced it to fully understand it. Okay. And I thought that was something that was really interesting, because, like, I think about how we do read to, like... To try our best. Right. But but I still think, but I think it's really, I because I, I, I feel like it's funny, because she's trying to write about this experience, right? Like, right. Like, the, like Zora Neale Hurston is. She's trying to write about this experience to kind of, like, transfer that in a way. I mean, to, like, a general audience, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Um... But did any did either of you read about? I should have, and but I didn't. Did either of you read about the reception the book received when it first came out? Yes, yeah. it was negative, okay. and from a lot of like black critics because you know, like we, it wasn't progressive enough. For okay, them, yeah. yeah, they wanted it to be more. They said it was too like set in the stereotypes that black authors were kind of pushed into, right? I mean, I think so. Yeah, I think that they didn't like. Yeah, they didn't like that. Um, they felt like she was in a way writing for um, white, white people. people. Yeah, because about the black experience. Yes, interesting. Which I don't entirely I agree with that. that. Yeah, I didn't feel that either. But also, we're white, right? I was about to say, but also, I'm like, <laughs> we're yeah. white. I didn't feel that. Um, I'd be curious to know what other readers think. I, I was blown away by her ability to tell a love story. Mm-hmm. But I also felt like in those underpinnings, mm-hmm. we get some really powerful, but just kind of matter of fact mm-hmm. moments of what race and the black experience looked like in Florida in the 1930s. Yeah. That scene when they're after the hurricane, they're burying the bodies. The, oh, 
it, it, where um, the as we all just yeah. just the guttural reaction. So the hurricane has happened, and there are dead bodies everywhere. And it really does. I mean, if you have survived a hurricane in Florida, it is fascinating to like think about what pre-weather channel life must have been like in Florida. Yeah. And I loved the scene of like the, the Seminole Indians, Indians yes. like leaving because mm-hmm. they knew it was coming. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so post hurricane, there are dead bodies, uh, kind of everywhere Mm -hmm. and they're burying them as quickly as they can but they're burying the black people in a what like a trench like a big kind Mm -hmm. of ditch yeah Yeah. and then but then they're I think tea cake is trying to throw a white person in there as well and they're stopping and trying to find actual burial plots for the white people if I'm not mistaken they said they had pine boxes that's right boxes like actual and then, meanwhile, for the black citizens, they just threw them in this pit. And, and again, though, she just kind of lets that lay there. Yeah. Like, she just kind of puts that fact out there, and she just kind of, I think, wants you to sit with it. But she doesn't point a finger at it. That's what I think is so that interesting. Was the, that was probably the hardest scene for me. Yeah. Her, so, I don't feel like we need to give spoiler warnings for a book that's no. so old. And, 75 years old. <laughs> yeah. And, the, and the, to be fair, at, at at the at the the beginning, Janie is talking to her friend Phoebe. Mm-hmm. Is Phoebe how they pronounce it in the audiobook? Yes. Okay. Um, she's talking to her girl from Phoebe, and we know from the beginning she outlives all three of her husbands. Mm-hmm. So this is no spoilers. But at the end, I'm uh, for whatever reason I was still kind of surprised. Um, TK Tea Cake's death kind of took me aback. Yeah. Um, and it's when Janie is kind of left alone, but she never. She just kind of picks herself up by her bootstraps and presses on. Mm-hmm. And that was really... There's some also feminist undertones in this book where Janie kind of survives all of these men. Yeah. Um, in more ways than one, she survives mm-hmm. them. And at the end, she's, you know, bedraggled in her overalls, but she's on her porch, mm-hmm. her house, her bedroom. her bedroom. And there's something really... I don't know. That was powerful because it was... So, they said so many times... Joe's porch, Joe's house, yes. Joe's, mm-hmm. you know, and when he died, it was like all the people that would never have come to Joe's house, Yeah, you know, it's like in that last scene when it was her, is it a scene? Yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. That's how she read it in the audiobook. It's like watching a movie. Um, you know, it's hers, hers, hers. Yeah. I just love that. It was a very like peaceful, satisfying way for it to end. It ended perfectly. Yeah. It really did. And didn't leave me wanting like I like it completely told the story mm-hmm. um and I felt like Janie was telling it to us just like she was telling it to Phoebe yeah um I really liked this one you guys I did yeah yeah um classic worth revisiting yes yeah yeah by far okay last thing I want to talk about as we wrap up the book is called Their Eyes Were Watching God I wanted to talk about the title because we talked about this briefly together. Um, where the title comes from is the scene kind of at the, while the hurricane is raging about them. I was going to try to find it so I could quote it exactly. Um, they're all kind of, doesn't it, it drives me not, you know, get to high ground. Like I felt like I was yelling at them like, no, this is dangerous. <laughs> but they're all kind of hiding out in this, in this mm-hmm. place. And the description of the hurricane is really good too. It's really 
Um, the wind came back with triple fury and put out the light for the last time. They sat in company with the others in other shanties, their eyes straining against crude walls and their souls asking if he meant to measure their puny might against his. They seemed to be staring at the dark, but their eyes were watching God. It's so good, and I feel like I just keep repeating. It's so good mm-hmm. over and over again. But that's where the title comes from. But, Emily, you asked a good question before we started recording, which is how does this apply to maybe the rest of the book? And why the hurricane is such a small scene right. in it the story. It reminds me of the scene with Miss um, Turner where she they talk about the gods and the white skin, the white people yes. being. You know, white skin was like her worshiping. Yes. Right. Well, and at the beginning, the white people have fled from the hurricane. Mm-hmm. They have sought higher ground. And there's comparison to that. Like, this was past, the time was passed for asking the white folks what to look for through that door. Six eyes were questioning God. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's the realization that, that God was not the white man. Yeah. And that it was, for them, a higher power mm-hmm. and not... I don't know. But the book is Janie's Janie's story. Janie? Yes. It's hard to... Is that how she pronounced it in the book? I'm just saying it. It just just doesn't sound right when I say it. Yeah. It's their eyes were watching God, but it's really her story. It's one person's story. So it's like, it was a very confusing title. But also it could be like, her story is like the story of a lot of people. Yeah. I don't know. Well, like, and I wonder, throughout the book, we watch Janie survive. Mm-hmm. We watch her survive abuse. Mm-hmm. We watch her survive natural disaster, mm-hmm. um, belittlement, um, emotional abuse. Um, also, just she moves from one city to right. another. She survives it all. Um, and I wonder, to some extent, if she and then the people she is surrounded with, their eyes are watching. Like, I wonder if the book is supposed to be like, as Janie is moving through this life and trying to get through it basically alone, she's, Mm -hmm. you know, surviving on her own, her eyes were watching God. But then Hunter maybe, yeah, like it's supposed to tell. It wasn't like a religious book. There were not a lot of religious undertones or anything. So it was just a, it's just a very strange, unclear time. Did we look it up? I'm just curious no, if we know why she called it. We'll that. look it up when we're afterwards. Well, and, yeah. then, and then no one will know. Well, yeah, everybody go Google. It'll be yeah. fun. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it and so glad I read it. And I'm going to be totally honest. I don't know if I ever would have read it. This is why book clubs are important. Mm-hmm. And this is why, I mean, we say this, I feel like, at the end of every episode. But I think this is why forcing yourself sometimes, and I don't want to say forced because I liked this yeah. book. But maybe picking something off your shelf instead of going to the latest and greatest, which I think mm-hmm. Hunter and I, you probably, you and I probably both struggle with that because our goal, right, is to, uh, is to educate and to read books that we want right. to put into people's hands right now. Um, but go for the book that maybe has been on your shelf a long time. Mm-hmm. Or I will say that in my line of work, yes. going to the old design books is not helpful. Not the same. Um, for, for us, I think, so important to go back and to do. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, 
I loved this one. Uh, and if you wound up reading alongside us, we would love to know what you think. You can comment on Instagram. We will have a post about this book. I'm sure Hunter will be leading discussions through his Instagram. So if you read it and want to talk more about it. Yeah, and I'll be sharing different um, different reviews from different people of color just to kind of get more and just and other women just to kind of get more, um, I guess. A more well-rounded view. Yes. We're admittedly, I mean, we're three white people talking about this book. Yeah. Um, so I would be interested to hear others' thoughts as well. Okay. Thank you guys for listening, and thanks for being here. Thanks. Bye. We're at the bottom of the barrel again. Started out strong, but now we're coming up thin. Lots with all the devils of sin Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God From the Front Porch is a production of The Bookshelf. It's produced by me, Annie Jones, and Chris Jensen and edited by Chris Jensen. You can find the books we talked about on today's episode at www.bookshelfthomasville.com forward slash shop. And for show notes and detailed thoughts and further reading, you can go to our website at From the Front Porch from the front porch podcast.com and you can find all of that information um, including maybe some links to reviews and things of Zora Neale Hurston's book there our music is provided by Forlorn Strangers you can go to forlornstrangers.com to find out more about their band and other music and this week on the front on this week on the bookshelf a funny thing happened I ran into strangers all across New York thanks to shelf by shelf and apparently my Facebook famous mother. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. We will see you next week.